when you're working as a as a manufacturer or um, a distributor of one specific instrument, you you can't really fine tune people's needs as much as you can if you've got the whole palette, right? Uh, so that's what I really enjoy about retail is that um, I can I can sit down with one on one with a customer, really listen to what kind of player they are, uh, what their needs are, what they're trying to do uh, with the horn, and uh, and cater. Uh, an instrument to them. This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Adam McBlain. Adam, well, he's all about finding the right tool for the job. After receiving his Master of Music and Instrumental Performance degree, Adam shifted his focus from being behind the bell to the manufacturing and marketing side of the trumpet world. His deep dive into the art and science of trumpet design has given Adam a unique perspective that he uses in his company, Niche Trumpets, to help players find the right horn for their specific needs. So, pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin! Uh, and it is time for yet another exciting, entertaining, and educational episode of the Trouble Gurus Hang. As always, uh, you know, we try to bring you the best. And uh, right now, I got one of the best in the biz, one of my good friends, Mr. Adam McBlain. Adam, how you doing, buddy? Doing great, man. Uh, Thanks for having me. Hey, it is. Uh, it's great to catch up with you. Um, you know, we. We met each other. I, oh, man, when did we meet each other? It was a few, it was a number of years ITG, ago. Yeah, it had to have been ITG. At yeah, some it was point. ITG. Yeah. Definitely. Were you at Warburton or were you working um, uh, doing the accessories side? I was. I was. Uh, I was helping out at Warburton. So yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, I th- yeah, I think I think the time that we actually really kind of got to know each other was in Anaheim because uh, yeah. Terry's Terry's booth was right across the room from yours so it's like you and mike yep. were there and uh, <laughs> and every spare moment was spent coming up with some some level of mischievous activity <laughs> we had to keep ourselves busy then <laughs> yeah between, between you me mike and tommy so uh, <laughs> uh you want to know how that story uh how tommy originated yeah so uh, yeah, uh, yeah maybe, maybe people aren't hip to tommy the the high note police so uh let, let's hear about that <laughs> well, I mean, naturally, ITG is kind of full of um, a lot of that, uh, that uh, you know, the high note squealers and whatnot. Uh, and so um, as a as kind of a comic relief, um, uh, Mike uh, bought me an avocado uh, because uh, I have uh, issues while traveling sometimes, you know what I'm saying? And he said, uh, avocado gets things moving along. And so it, this avocado was just sitting there for, for way too long. And so we couldn't do anything with it. And, um, and so Mike had this stick because uh, we had Starbucks and he just kind of stuck it right up the avocado and, and, and proceeded to draw on it and, uh, and made this little uh, character named Tommy. So, and it's, and it's been with us ever since. Tommy, Tommy <laughs> the high note police. Yes. Uh, That's right. <laughs> and, and Tommy certainly gets a workout at, at, uh, conferences because uh like you said there's you know if if you're going to try out a horn or a mouthpiece you know you you got to do what you got to do so (laughs) 
it's just fun that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, since I when when I met you, you were with uh, P. Moriat, and you've uh, you've transitioned. You've had you, you've done a couple of things, kind of since since that point. Um, and now, uh, you you have a I, I find to be a really kind of fascinating uh, business going. So, you know what what got you from where you were to where you are now, and and kind of you know what what's your vision of what you're doing. Sure. Um, you know, I, it's a matter of kind of being in the right place at the right time uh, where all the moving pieces work together. And, uh, you know, I was finishing up my grad school and uh, at University of Northern Colorado. And uh, <clears throat> it just so happens that the retired saxophone professor from that school, uh, Mr. Roger Greenberg, he uh, he was distributing P. Moria at the time, uh, P. Moria saxophones. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, Alex Shea, uh, the, uh, the CEO from P. Moriat, he was looking for a, an American trumpet player to come to Taiwan and represent his brand. And I was graduating. And so he called, uh, Dr. Roger, uh, Roger Greenberg, he called, um, Dr. Murray, uh, my teacher and, uh, and said, Hey, how would you like to go to Taiwan? <laughs> and, and the rest is kind of history. Uh, I, I moved to Taiwan for three years and was working with the um, instrument manufacturers uh, that are all part of P. Moriat, the conglomeration of, uh, of, uh, of manufacturers there. And, um, you know, I, yeah, it's, a, it's, been a, it's been a journey from there. Um, and then I uh, went back to United States and, uh, and worked for the distributor. And then from there, uh, started my own company doing retail yeah yeah <laughs> well, uh, and uh yeah the world of trumpet retail i mean that that is not uh, retail in general is not for the faint of heart but when you when you get into such a, a niche market uh notice how i did that uh right. that, uh you know it, it makes it even that much uh more challenging so uh you know, what, what made you kind of decide that you wanted to go into the, the retail side of things, you know, more than, than some of the other stuff that you were doing? I, I really, I really enjoy, uh, working with many different trumpets. You know, every, every trumpet has, has kind of a, a place, uh, in someone's home, uh, even if it's not necessarily something that, uh, uh, that I would play on a day to day. So I, when you're working as a, as a manufacturer or, um, a distributor of one specific instrument, you you can't really fine tune people's needs as much as you can if you've got the whole palette, right? Uh, so that's what I really enjoy about retail is that um, I can I can sit down with one on one with a customer, really listen to what kind of player they are, uh, what their needs are, what they're trying to do uh, with the horn, and uh, and cater uh, an instrument to them. Uh, so I really enjoy that process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it's kind of interesting to me that you, you, uh, you, you kind of bring together so many different skill sets. So obviously as a player, you know, uh, you know, so it's not like, you know, when you go, you know, like when, yeah, I remember when I bought my first trumpet, you know, it was, you know, you go to the local music store and, you know, the, you don't know who that person is that's selling, you know, to you. You don't know what their knowledge is. You're assuming that they're knowledgeable since working in a music store, but, you know, odds are they're probably a guitar player or a drummer, you know? Uh, <laughs> so, you know, one, you're, you're buying something, you're buying a product, you're getting, you know, help from someone who actually 
plays the instrument. So that's that's one skill I think that that's, that's crucial. But then your your background in, in working in that development side and then the man, you know that manufacturing side gives you a different insight into uh, the processes that go into making a trumpet and, and understanding how those all come into play. Um, and then, you know, just uh, you, you pull you pull that together. And then obviously, you, you, know, you have this love of people and you like helping people and you like kind of uh, that problem solving sort of, you know, like, how, how do we find the, the, the <laughs> yeah. best combination for somebody? So I think that that's kind of a really interesting uh, mixture of of skills. And, um, you know, I, I can't, I can't imagine not wanting to go to someone with, with that kind of a background because there are very few people who, who have that. Sure. Yeah. Um, I love it. I enjoy what I do. Uh, I've only been doing, uh, the niche trumpet thing, uh, for, uh, for two years now. And I, I had to, the impeccable timing of, of opening the web store February, of 2020 <laughs> so i uh, i don't know if that's for better or for worse really um because i mean it was e-commerce and i didn't open a uh, a brick and mortar thankfully because that would have just been a disaster uh <laughs> so um yeah i've only been doing it a short amount of time but man um i, I really uh really enjoy the clientele that i've had so far um really outstanding people and you know that's the thing about the music industry that I love the most is that um, I, I, I haven't really had too many bad experiences working with people. Um, there, there's just uh, so, so many, so many wonderful individuals, even if they're, um, even if they're amateurs or just starting out or comeback players, they're, um, uh, they're, they're very invitational uh, about uh, uh, their life and, and, uh, and getting to know you and, uh, just overall a pleasant experience as opposed to maybe working electronics or something where people are a little more entitled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, being, being specialists as we are, that, uh, it certainly is, uh, you know, it's, it's reassuring to know that, that someone has got your back and I, and I like, you know, what you're doing with, uh, like you, you said, having the full palette, uh, you know, and it's certainly easy to just be, uh, you know, a dealer or distributor for, for a single brand. And yeah, not that anything's wrong with any, any one brand, right. but yeah, you know, like you said, there are just certain things that, uh, you know, that, that are going to speak to an individual player and having, having those tools in your arsenal certainly, uh, you know, certainly are beneficial. So, you know, so let, let, let's do a, a role-playing sort of thing or, you know, okay. a, a scenario <laughs> here. So, you know, someone like I, I come up to you and I go, Hey, Hey, Adam, look, man, you know, I message you and like, you know, I'm, I'm looking for some, some new gear. I'm just not happy with my horn. Uh, or, you know, I just hit the lottery and, you know, I want to, I want to blow some bucks on some, some new breath. <laughs> hey, all right. Yeah, like yes, I uh, you came to the right place. Yeah, look at that. Uh, like, you, like when you when you're going through like trying basically trying to fit a horn for somebody, what are some of the the things that you uh, you take your customer through? Sure. Um, number one would be what are you currently playing, um, and uh, what kind of music are you playing? Uh, what uh, what bands are you involved with? Um, and where do you see yourself, uh, going in the future? Like, uh, do you have a certain sound in mind? Do you want to sound more like a certain individual? Um, 
those are all really important things to to consider. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then, yeah, cater it, cater it from there because some people, you know, they like, um, uh, they may not know what they like, but they, they know uh, what they want to sound like, or they know what's not working for them on their current horn. Right. And so that's, that's an easy factor is if, if I know exactly what they're playing, uh, then I could, I could um, uh, better understand what combination of, uh, of parts are going to work best for them. Uh, whether that be materials or um, or the taper of the bell, uh, the damping of the horn, uh, you know, the weight of the horn, whatnot. Um, and then just kind of go from there. And, and sometimes it's a trial error and uh, and I'm willing to work with people, you know. Yeah. You know, and, and it, it is such an individual process, you know, and if there was, if there was one perfect horn and one perfect mouthpiece, then you know, everybody, everybody playing. On everybody would have it. Yeah. Some people claim to have that, but you know, I, I don't know about that. But yeah. Well, <laughs> good for them. I'm happy for them. Yeah. <laughs> now that they figured it out, then, uh, you know, God bless. <laughs> but no, the, it, it's the, uh, you know, all of those different components. And, you know, as someone who's, who's been playing trumpet for, you know, way too long, I, I should be way better than I am considering how many years I've been playing this, this damn Amen, music. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it's only in the past few years that I've really begun to understand more, basically just scratching the surface on, uh, the effects of manufacturing the materials like you're saying things like damping uh you know the the tapers and and things like that it was just you know because before it was just like oh okay uh medium large larger extra large you know and and, yeah. and uh you know maybe you could get a sterling silver bell or you know or you know, the reverse lead pipes were the big thing uh but you know there there weren't a whole lot of people who could explain, or I don't want to say could explain, but were willing to explain how all these different components come into play in the design of the horn and, and, and how one, one change will create, you know, this, this cascade effect in your, in your, your horn and how it responds. So, um, I mean, what, what kind of got you going in that direction of, of, uh, you know, basically being the, you know, the, the horn geek that you are today (laughs) and then then sharing it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I never, I never was like that. And I, and I kind of, uh, uh, would would shy away from that as much as possible. Um, because I, I was just kind of a player that I knew that I, I wanted to, uh, uh, connect with the horn without thinking that the horn is going to be doing all the work for me. You know, like uh, you don't want to be uh, always in that retrogression uh, where you're going for the next best thing. So um, I never really thought about it until I had to think about it. And it was once I got into the industry and I was, I was play testing horns uh, for P Moriat, I just, the horn wasn't working for me and I couldn't, I didn't know why. And so that's, um, that's where my love for, um, understanding it better, the science of it really, uh, began to take hold because I was, I, I wanted to figure out, well, why is this not working? Because I have a job to do and I need to make this trumpet better and it's just not working for me. Um, so, uh, you know, doing a lot of research on my own and then ultimately it came down to just playing a lot of horns, 
you know, playing a lot of horns. You know, because I go to every show, and uh, you go and you play every horn that's at that show, and and just asking a lot of questions. Uh, you know, what's uh, what's different about this horn compared to the other horn, and then playing them side by side, and kind of taking a mental note of uh, what's going on there, <laughs> right? And then trying to apply that, uh, talking to the manufacturer, saying, you know, hey, I think this is um, the right approach to this horn. Uh, could you do this? And then seeing the results, getting the new prototype back and uh, seeing if, uh, if that worked or not. <laughs> so trial and error, too. Yeah. Yeah, you know, a lot of that. yeah absolutely. Uh, so who, who are some of the people that, that have been kind of um, instrumental in, in you gaining this knowledge i mean do you have any kind of mentors in in the this area um the manufacturers in taiwan are really exceptional at what they do um and uh they they've always been uh very kind and uh open to hearing uh new ideas especially from artists and uh and the professionals that play them um so uh one name that comes to mind is uh mr lee uh or uh, he goes by Carl, but it's Li uh, Xianshan to me. Um, and uh, he's, he's the, uh, the owner of Carol Brass. Uh, and his son, Whaley, uh, are very, um, uh, very passionate about what they do and have been very, uh, uh, very pleasant to work with, um, with, with uh, trying new things and, and, um, <clears throat> and seeing if they're successful or not. Um, and also, I mean, during my... Uh, during my uh, tenure at uh, P. Moriart, I, I read a lot of Reynolds Schulke and his writings and, and to see um, uh, kind of uh, what he had to say about uh, plating and versus lacquer or the different materials and how the different materials affected uh, the way the instrument plays. So. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so, um, yeah, well, as you're talking about Carol Brass, you know, uh, Carol Brass being, uh, you know, a Taiwanese uh, based company, um, you know, th there's a whole, uh, I, I don't want, how do I say this? Uh, a lot of people don't give a lot of credit to uh, the Asian based uh, instrument. Now, obviously, you know, Yamaha, uh, you know, being Japanese based, but I mean, I remember when, when, when Yamaha first came out, I mean, not first came out, but you know, like when, when it starting to make a splash, um, it, you know, they caught a lot of crap, you know, because, yeah. of, you know, it's like, eh. but, uh, you know, I, I hear the same thing, like about, about Carol Brass and, you know, some of the, the companies that are, that are, you know, making instruments in, in China or other countries. Um, and it, you know, it seems to me, I mean, because I have a, a, a background in, you know, things that are tied into Asian culture. Uh, and yeah, there, there's certainly some, some cheap knockoffs that are made, you know, in, in China and, and Taiwan and stuff like that. But there's some really fine craftsmanship that goes on there. And there's a lot of uh, the, the technology that you're using is actually pretty advanced compared to what people think about so i mean what what has your experience been like working with uh with carol and, and and what do you say to people that like ah eh, well it's just you know taiwanese you know crap well <laughs> and i think that was kind of a uh, a bias that people probably had still like you know 10 years ago even you know but 
I would say to those individuals, uh, just try it. And, and you, you'll, you'll see right away that uh, that's not true. And, you know, really give it, give it a shot. I mean, it's the same thing with Yamaha. If it was like 30 years ago, Yamaha, yeah, what they were making, they were making copies, right? They're trying to, um, uh, just like the Chinese do now, they're, they're trying to uh, copy what's successful as best as, they, as best they can without really putting any uh, ingenuity into the design. So I think that's where Taiwan might have been um, when they when they started doing that. Like I know that it was like that in the saxophone worlds. They were trying to copy the uh, the Mark VI, and so all the there was a there's a, a a whole business that will do just the bells, and then there's another business that will do uh, the body and of the saxophone, and then another one that will do the key work, and, and they would all uh, work together as a, as a collaborative. Um, so it's, it's, it was like that, too, in Taiwan, and I think that's where Carol Brass uh, really started to shine was they were making OEM for a lot of companies and a lot of companies you've probably heard of. And, uh, and then they started breaking off uh, be because their original name is Haksangaki. That's what their, that's what their uh, real company name is. And then they decided to make their own brand called Carol Brass. And then once they started doing that, so when they started getting outside the box and really uh, listening to artists, uh, trying to cater to artists um, and professionals and changing the design. And that's, that's where um, you know, great instrument companies really start to shine is that they are doing things uh, that are unique to the, to the mold. And I, I feel Carol Brass, um, you, give, you give their new instruments a shot and you, you, will, you will tell that, no, that's not a Bach copy. You know, that's not a Yamaha copy. It's something completely different. And uh, that's what's exciting about it is that they, and they can make your own horn. You, they can make something very special just for you. And they're willing to do it. And they have a very fast turnaround. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's exciting. They're like the new, uh, a lot of people refer to them as the, the cancel of, the, of the, the Far East. They're like the new cancel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's funny, it's a, it, whether it be in the trumpet world or, you know, in anything, the, the way that society tends to work is um, we have this thing where, where we like to, we like to root for the underdog yeah. uh, until the underdog becomes successful, you know, <laughs> and, and then, then we, then we hate him. It's like the Starbucks phenomenon, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, you know, like, oh, you know, this, this small brand and everybody's, you know, all into it. And then suddenly becomes this, this megalith. And then, you know, everybody wants to tear it down. So, I mean, you know, when, when we see that with like the, the standards, you know, the, the big names that we have uh, in, in instrument manufacturing, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, you, you can't talk about trumpets without talking about Bach because Bach, right. is, you know, that's, that is the, the, the name with the longest in terms of, uh, you know, you certainly, yeah, the, the Selmers and things like that, but Bach, you know, when you, when we talk about Bach, you're, you know, that's, that's something with a, with a, a solid history, you know, Yamaha has gotten to that point where it's like, yeah. it, it's usually one of the, the top brands that people will think about. Um, you know, some of the older ones like, like Selmer kind of, you know, you know, Selmer dropped off until, yeah. you know, the mergers and things like that. But, you know, so you, you have these, these brands that, that establish themselves and they've gone through these, these periods of innovation and then just kind of like resting on their laurels a bit. And then until, right. until somebody comes up and it's like, starts kicking their butt a little bit. And then it's like, Oh, well, we got to start innovating. We've got to start thinking about these things. So, um, 
I think that that you know, but especially you know, from the the capitalistic uh, society that we live in, uh, you know, having the competition is a good thing. You know, the I think the the more horn manufacturers that we have, and especially as you started getting to in like more of the like you were talking about doing like custom custom work, that's you know that that's a, a market that that really needs to be serviced, uh, particularly for for those of us who are not big name entertainers you know obviously when when you're a you know wayne bergeron or a uh you know someone with, with a, a big name like that 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 big pull um it's a lot easier to get someone to to design a horn for you than it is you know when you're you know adam mcblain so uh <laughs> you know and, and we don't have the money to pay for the r d so uh yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting kind of niche. So here we go, throwing that in again. And another oh, it comes in, back in again. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> it's catchy. It's, a, it's an interesting niche market, uh, you know, uh, to for a company to to start to delve into. So, um, like with, I just go back to since we're we're talking about Karen, we're talking about custom customization stuff like that. Uh, you've been working with uh, them and with. Michael Williams, who we were talking about earlier in developing yep. his new horn. So you know, what, what was that, that process like? This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Uh, well, it's, it's actually the horn right behind me. Um, it's, it's still in the works. Uh, we're still working on it. In fact, we just spoke this morning um, to go over the next stage, uh, the next step of the process. Um, it's fun, man. I, I, um, you know, the 655 trumpet that he plays right now, that was my uh, take on the original P. Moria 600 trumpet, right? And so... Mike picking that up and really digging it um, made me look back at it and be like, okay, what made that horn work? You know, what made that horn work for him? Um, and then can, can we, uh, can we recreate that lightning in a bottle? You know, that's a, <laughs> that's a really tough process because, you know, everything changes in, in 20 years or, you know, 10 years this time, you know, it's been 10 years since that horn came out. Um and sometimes there's some stuff that they used to do that they don't do anymore or um and it's like that constantly with with every manufacturer so sometimes going back and trying to um uh to, to emulate something that's already been done is impossible so uh it's a delicate process but uh it's one that we're approaching uh with with care and uh with time and uh we hope to we hope to have something come out uh within the year here mm-hmm. But, um, but how's the process? It's fun. Cause it's Mike, you know, <laughs> and Mike's just fun. Mike's just a fun guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's uh, one of a kind. He's, he certainly is one of a kind. So, I mean, with, with this horn, um, without letting too many, uh, trade secrets go, um, you know, what, what are some of the, the, the things that you're trying to, to bring to the table with it? What are, what are some of the, the characteristics that you're trying to capture? Uh, the biggest one is that um, the the heart of the horn is uh, strong, like uh, heavyweight. 
so like the valve section itself is is heavyweight while the rest of the horn is um is light but stable so like the bell can't be too lightweight um because then it's just it's too much uh too much vibration too much zing and it doesn't have that core of the sound that you're looking for so um uh, we're just trying to fine-tune that and make sure that uh all all the braces are in the right places um and that the the materials are consistent and uh the weight is consistent too um it's just a, the just the smallest change uh like one brace being too far back uh can dramatically change the way a horn resonates uh, uh in what nodes um that it's uh that it's pressing up against or, or hitting as, as the, the sound travels through the horn um so uh you know it's also it's also a trial and error thing too it's like well i hope I hope you get it right. You know? <laughs> but I, that's why I trust Mike. Mike will tell me, uh, you know, truthfully, be like, well, this just isn't right. And then I got to go back to the drawing board. But um, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what's going on. Have, have you helped uh, been been part of the design process for anybody else? Like, you know, building, like designing a custom horn? Um, I've had a couple clients uh, over the past two years here, uh, not really designing a horn, uh, but uh, more just like picking picking and choosing materials um that's the fun part about working with carol brass is that i can change the lead pipe material i can change the the slide material the uh, inner or outer slide material the bell material uh the taper um so that's more like uh um i don't know if you call it designing because i didn't really make the design but it's it's more uh, like a tailor process you know <laughs> yeah so. um yeah i mean it it well, it, it, I could almost see like having a, a uh, you know, a, a, a customizing shop, you know, where where the, the tweaks could be made because a guy, like I said, it, 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 that's a that's a freaking rabbit hole you can go down like super, oh, super quick. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't realize the the amount of difference that bracing made uh, until I was uh, getting my horn built and uh uh, you know, uh, Terry Walberton built my horn for me and, uh, I was, I was in his shop as he was building the horn and we were playing with the placement of the braces and, and things like that. And I'm like, holy cow, this is, you know, this is really, uh, it, it's interesting. It's exciting. And it's scary at the same point. Um, especially when you're someone like me that, that once I start experimenting with something like that, then it's real easy for me to start going, well, what if we do this? What if we change this? What if we change this? Yeah. And it's like some point you just got to say, okay, let's go with it. Um, yeah. if not, you're never going to, you're never going to go anywhere, but you know, if, if somebody is looking at, at their horn, right? So let's, let's take the two most common scenarios, uh, being like the commercial player and the, the classical or legit player. Uh, so if I come to you, you know, uh, someone that that's, you know, playing a lot of horn band stuff and I need something that, that that's going to uh, have that that focused sound that that's going to have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of higher overtones uh, so that it can it can it can ride above the, you know, the, the ruckus of the, of the rhythm section. Uh, you know, what are some of the, the things in terms of like. Uh, let, let's say like 
the bell material or the bell material and bell flare that people want to think about like, okay, well, you know, maybe, maybe this is, this is something I can consider changing. And then, you know, the, the opposite then when you're, when you're more of that, that classical player and you're wanting the, the lower overtones and, and more of that, that broader sound, you know, what, what kind of things are, are they going to be wanting to look for? Sure. You know, um, when it comes to sound concept or um, projection, it really comes down to the player, what kind of player you are, because uh, the, sa the same kind of player, no matter what you throw in front of them, can sound the same way uh, if they're playing the same, like mouthpiece, for example. Um, so when it, when it comes to like changing the material or the flare, I, I think it's a amount of uh, player preference. Like, uh, do you like uh, resistance towards the front of the horn? Do you like the resistance towards the back of the horn? And that's where uh, something like the flare of the horn uh, really comes into to context. Um, the bell material, uh, if, you're, if you're looking for something really brilliant, like phosphorus bronze is a very brilliant bell material. Um, and then yellow brass would be uh, the next most uh, well-balanced uh, material. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it really, I uh, would really have to listen to the player and, and see what kind of mouthpiece they're playing too, because some people, they just have a, a brilliant sound and they play a tank of a mouthpiece. Like, uh, you know, Alexi Barrow, um, you know, he, he, when I, when I first started working with him, he, uh, he had that, he just has such a brilliant sound naturally that the, the heavy weighted horn that with the big mouthpiece receiver, uh, and, uh, and, and strong bell that really that really helped him kind of tame the beast, right? Uh, so, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's 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 where it is a rabbit hole, right? It, it can it can get really tricky, and so that's why I think it's important that um, uh, each player kind of um, is uh, is is different, is treated uh, uniquely. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. So, how about for you as as a player? I mean, what what are your your preferences? Sure. Uh, I like it simple, man. I like it super simple. I like a horn that's um, just all yellow brass. Uh, and uh, it's middle of the road. It's uh, consistent. And um, uh, that way there's there's not too many moving parts or variables um, in the equation. I can just uh, play very, uh, uh, very easy and, and, uh, and efficiently. Yeah. 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 Tried and true. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, nothing, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it, and it seems like yeah, you know, there, there are so many um, you know designs that have been uh, that cater towards a specific style of playing. Uh, and by that I mean like you, know, you have horns uh, that are designed for like the, the the player who wants to be much more efficient. So you know, uh, players like you know Bobby and and Roger Ingram and, and people like that 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 want a you know that that tighter, uh, especially up front, you know, in, in using like some using a straight uh, like I think Roger uses a straight medium, uh, Bobby uses a step bore, uh, mm -hmm. but then you know then you have other players who are just like you know just give me as much space as I can fill up, and you know so they want that gear to be super, super big or super, super heavy. Um, and, you know, then obviously you're going to have things that are kind of like, you know, trying to, trying to play both sides of the, of the fence. Uh, so, you know, or would you put yourself more in the camp of, you know, that you want that, that slightly tighter, more resistant 
uh, feel or do you like that, that wide open blow? Yeah, I prefer the resistance up front. Uh, so that's why I like, I don't, I don't like uh, trumpets most of the time to have a, a circular uh, uh, tuning slide. Uh, I like the, the debrace slide. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, uh, like a 37 bell uh, if I were to play Bach. Um, or uh, I, I play uh, Yamaha 6335H. That's my horn that I've had since I was, old. how old was I? 15. Uh, and it's just, it's just what I'm used to. Uh, I really enjoy uh, that compression. Um, it, but at, at the same time, it's not a lightweight bell because a lightweight bell can, can sometimes be a little too, uh, uh, too much brilliance, right? A little, little too much bark and it, it loses that core. Uh, so that's, that's my preference. Um, there, but there are other individuals that like, I mean, if you look at the bell and feel the bell of the Bobby Shoehorn or, um, uh, or the, uh, the LA, uh, it's a, it's a lightweight, it's a lightweight bell. It really sinks. Um, I think the LA is more of a, like a 72 flare, but, um, uh, <clears throat> that Bobby Shoehorn, it's made for efficiency. You know, it's a medium bore. Um, uh, it's just, uh, it's easy to play, but it, that, that's the kind of horn that would take me like a month to get used to. And then even then, I'm not sure I, I would, uh, I would like that. Cause sometimes I like to get aggressive, you know, like sometimes I like to, you know, just get aggressive with the horn and that kind of horn, I think would just, uh, would fight me in my inefficient ways, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, yeah, it's funny because I just, I, you know, when I had my horn built, I, I had it designed specifically to have that like super, super tight up front and just, you know, uh, open up. Um, but I just recently found myself, well, I, I didn't have access to my horn. I actually, what happened is I left it somewhere where I shouldn't have left it. Uh, and uh, so Oh no, what happened? <laughs> I, I, was, I was visiting my sister and I took my horn with me because I had, you know, uh, some gigs coming up and I, I couldn't take the time off. You know, I needed to work on some stuff and, and I, I left my horn there. You know, I left, uh, my wife and I got in the car and drove off, you know, Okay, so it's safe at least. It was safe, right? yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Fortunately, fortunately, it was in my torpedo case, so that okay. made shipping it. It shipping was expensive, but I wasn't worried about the horn getting jacked up in the process, you know. Right. But uh, <laughs> so I had to use my old horn, and my old horn is a, a, a mid '80s Callet, uh, oh, okay. his, his New York uh, w- that was, uh, you know, it was a large bore horn, very very open blowing. And suddenly, like I had been like ease had been like squirrely for me for a while. Like, you know, all of a sudden I just say like I'm I'm either overshooting or undershooting. And I played that horn and it's like they locked in. Like, oh uh, home base. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I spent all this money on this new gear and now I'm back to my old stuff. So yeah, but, you know, it, it's yeah. kind of interesting because because what I did enjoy, uh, what I do enjoy about it is that fact that I can kind of step into it a little bit and and uh you know it, it'll take it'll take everything that, that I can give it. Uh you know, the, the downside of that is that, that if I play that way too much, then you know, I'm I'm fried really quick. So, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking too. It's like, yeah, the large boards are nice. They're fun when you first started playing it, you know, and it's, oh, my sound's opened up and it's a little more buttery. And then you get to the gig and you're like 15 minutes and I'm like, oh, damn, <laughs> this is a bad choice. The large board was a bad choice, you know? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's like I, I had a horn. Um, it, was, it was one of those boutique uh, European horns. Um, and it was a beautiful horn. I, I miss it. I mean, it was, it was so beautiful. I had a, a shot blasted palladium finish uh, with a with a gold palladium. Yeah. Wow. I've and, been looking for somebody that can do that, man. That's, oh, man. That's, that's, that's it, nice. It was a beauty. And it sounded like butter. But, um, you know, it was conical. It was a conical bore. Uh, and so, yeah, it sounded great. Uh, but you know, playing, playing lead in a, in a funk band, uh, I really had to work, you know, I had to work at it to, to get it to, to have that kind of sizzle in the upper register. And, yeah. uh, you know, so it's like, you know, if I had the money, I'd obviously have like, you know, I'd have a garage full of horns, uh, you know, so depending on the gig, but, uh, you know, trying to find something that, that works in the vast majority of scenarios. And for, I mean, fortunately for me, I only play, you know, a few types of gigs. So, uh, I don't need to be, you know, like, like someone like, you know, some of these guys that are, that are in LA and New York and that they're doing a whole lot, you know, you never know what, what you're going to be playing on, on any given point during the day. Um, yeah. I don't have a, I don't have a need for that level of versatility. So, um, you know, like for you, I mean, you, with your, your personal playing, I mean, how, what kind of playing do you do primarily? You know, um, going back to that versatility and just efficiency overall, um, the biggest thing that, that helped me, uh, was, was going from a three C mouthpiece to a three E like playing the smallest mouthpiece possible. Uh, that, that took a while to do because you're just so used to filling up the cup with your lips, you know, that I was bottoming out on the uh, smaller mouthpiece. And uh, so that, that change uh, over time really just improved everything, improved my range, my endurance, uh, uh, everything. So, so when it comes to versatility, like I could play lead, I could play, I could do um, the solo work uh, and I could do combo with the same exact mouthpiece. Um, that that was really nice that was a good game changer um so uh yeah did that answer your question i'm sorry <laughs> good enough for yeah. me yeah okay yeah. <laughs> yeah well you know and, and it's the you know you're saying like you know the the smallest smallest gear that you can get away with yeah so many people uh and you know, and these are all players that i have a great deal of respect for you know say that's that's the ticket is uh you know don't don't kill yourself if you don't have to uh yeah. now granted there are some people that play absolutely great on 3c i mean like i, I always use the the example of jerry hey jerry sounds you know all the stuff that he did in the you know the 70s and 80s all that crazy stuff he was doing on a, on a 3c or a 3c based mouthpiece okay fantastic that works for jerry but that doesn't mean this going to work for everybody else uh and you know the the thing about the intrusion that was always my problem and i i play i i played for years i played mouthpieces that were literally too big for me because i kept bottoming out so instead i would i would go bigger going okay well my lips need yeah. more room so i'd go bigger not realizing that i'm actually just <laughs> driving my lips into it as if i and now yeah. I'm, I'm playing really small and I don't bottom out. I, I've never bottom out on on a on the smaller stuff I'm playing these days. Yeah, you like you force your yourself to adapt to that change. So uh, 
it, it really has to come from uh, asking yourself, well, why am I doing that? Why, why should I play a smaller mouthpiece? And, and for me, it was, it was evident that uh, I, there was something inefficient about my playing. And so if I go to a smaller mouthpiece and I'm bottoming out, then something is not efficient here. Something's not working, right? Uh, so the great thing about playing a smaller mouthpiece now is that like, like last night I played a show, uh, the Cinderella uh, Broadway show, and, uh, and I play a 3C on that show so that I have a little bit of room for air. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, you're doing a, you're jumping around a lot. You're, you need a nice big sound. So now that I'm used to playing a small mouthpiece, um, it's like tactical work. Uh, there's the, you're just that much better on a bigger mouthpiece if the situation calls to, to uh, change your equipment, uh, which in this case it did. Um, it would be a little too, uh, a little, little too much if I played a small mouthpiece in that kind of a setting. So, um, so yeah, so, so that way I, it's easier. You can go from small to, uh, to big, as opposed to trying to go from big to small, then that's when the problems start. Yeah. So, uh, like what, what's your take on, um, like switching mouthpieces I and mean, yeah, everybody's got, got their different things on it. Uh, but, uh, do you try and stay within the same rim shape or rim diameter? Uh, or, or are you one of those people just like, you know, pick up whatever, where you find and blow <laughs> I wish I could be, but no, I, I stay in the same rim diameter. Um, uh, because that way, I, every time I set the chops, it's always, uh, home base, you know, um, right where it needs to be. But, um, and then adjust the depth, uh, and, um, and the back pour accordingly, if uh, if I need to make small changes there, um, and that usually uh, coincides with uh, the depth of the cup. Like uh, uh, oh, I don't have it right here, but three um, E I play with a KT back pour, and then uh, my three C I play with an eight star. So um, th that way uh, they they suit each other well, and that that's a it's kind of a trial and error thing again too. You know to figure out well what works for you because what works for you is not necessarily going to be what works for anybody else. Um, and your trumpet, what trumpet you're playing. Yeah. 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 The man, they're just all, like I said before, there's so many variables that are involved in that. And uh, yeah, it, it's the, it's the nature of the system. I think that's, that's where it gets to be interesting is that, um, you know, making, making the one change can, it may not seem like it affects that much but as you go further down the system uh you know the the effects start to to multiply um yeah. and uh you know things like you know the gap the uh you know the the tuning slide like you're talking about the d versus the the rounded tuning slide you know all those those different things uh, you know frank green was talking to me about uh the effect of the difference between having an amato water key and mm -hmm. a, a traditional uh, spring water key uh, in terms of some nodal points. And, yep. you know, it's just like all these little things. Like, oh, Mike and I were just talking about that with his horn, trying to fine tune that, you know. It, uh, yeah, I mean, all those things, they, they stack up. But uh, I think for um, a young or advancing player, um, keeping it simple, you know, the KISS method, keep it simple, stupid, right? Yeah. You know, don't overthink it, uh, really learn how to play the trumpet first. And I think uh, that's where diving into this kind of stuff, you have to be really confident in your playing. You have to, uh, 
because you know once you start changing parts and, or if you're in a situation where you're you're, you're a being two two things if you're not um if you're not set if you're not solid and consistent then uh it's just it's a nightmare it's you're never going to get anywhere or know the difference between the two so um it's um yeah so i mean like i i enjoy the fact that i got into this realm of the trumpet but uh at my core i i, I like to just keep it as simple as possible um bef before i start adding um too many factors involved <laughs> right yeah, and, and that's, I mean, I think that's that's really um, a great thing to say is, um, you know, the, the the joy of the simplicity, the the benefit of simplicity, particularly for those developing players. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being able to, to trick out your horn. Uh, but like you said, you know, if you don't have the, if, you, if you're not consistent in your playing and comfortable in your playing, then that could actually lead you down some some mm -hmm. bad paths uh, because you're looking you're looking for the horn to compensate for something that you can't do as opposed to looking to the horn to uh, augment what you already can do and right. I think that's 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 a different kind of kind of vibe and uh, you know the I I kind of look at it as like you know you just you're just trying to fine tune what you already have you know but but if you're if you're already jacked up you know put you know changing changing the bracing or or changing the the lead pipe shape is not gonna help you <laughs> no not at all yeah go back to the kazoo and you can learn so much more from that yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot or of garden hose yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's like you know, uh, Peter Bond is is really big in you know the singing, you know, using singing and talking as as uh, the model for for playing, and you know that's true. You know, the the you can generate the sound uh, without the trumpet. Uh, the trumpet's just going to magnify it, and you know, it 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 will it will magnify the good, and will also magnify the bad. So oh, yeah. if you get as much of the noise out of the way you know, before the sound is actually being pushed through that horn, then that, that makes it that, that much easier. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And on that, and on that topic, um, it's, that was my uh, biggest hurdle when I was getting my undergrad was quieting the noise in my head, right? Like uh, mindfulness, right? Um, it, it, and, and I think that most people deal with that. And, and it's funny how something that that isn't real can affect uh, something that is so real, which is our sound and our ability to perform or execute uh, what we already know. Um, and uh, it's such a, a, a viable part of uh, being a great musician is, is, is quieting that noise or changing that noise to say something positive about what you're about ready to do. Um, you know, uh, to stay involved, stay into the music. Um, and uh, like, I, I would even have endurance issues where I, I would, uh, I would start doubting myself, you know, I'd get halfway through a, a show or something, uh, 
I used to play at Bush Gardens Williamsburg and we play uh, umpa music and uh, it's just 30 minutes straight on the horn, you know, <laughs> and, and, and you're playing a part and, and, you, and you're looking ahead of the music and you're seeing the high seas coming up and you're just like, oh, I'm going to fuck that up, you know, <laughs> you just, yeah. you, you tell you, you, so you're at the second that you have that thought into your mind is you're already done uh, because uh, you're not thinking about the music anymore. You're, you're, you're talking to yourself, right? So yeah, <laughs> I know that might've been a different interpretation of the noise, but uh, that's, that's definitely the, that's, oh, that, that, yeah. that's actually the biggest, the biggest component of it. You know, I mean, there's, there's the, there's the, the noise that we get because of some mechanical failure, but then there's also the noise that comes out of the, you know, the mental aspect of it. You know, when we start uh, anticipating, uh, worrying about, uh, you know, what, what's either, you know, like when we talk about mindfulness, you know, uh, the, the, the idea of the difference between being the present, being in the past and being in the future in terms of your thoughts. And, you know, we actually have to be all three. You know, you can't be, you know, you, you yeah, can't no. do just one. That's not the way we're set up to work. But, but you know, when you're executing, that's the present. That's being in the moment. That, that's when you're, you're doing your thing. But the, the past is, you know, like our ability to remember and to learn from the, the past mistakes. You know, it's like, okay, well, the last time I screwed the pooch on that, so I got to make sure that I'm centered, you know, as opposed yeah. to when you get stuck in the past, it's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. You know, you, and you, get, you get stuck in that negative feedback loop. And then okay. the future becomes that anxiety of like, you know, when you're looking at that high C coming up and going, oh, my God, I hope I don't, I don't clam it. Um, and that 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 prevents you from being like doing what you got to do right yeah. now to make sure you're yeah. in the right the right place. And I know for me, uh, you know, I there there are times when I'm playing, especially if I'm like if I'm just improvising, you know, whether it be with a band or whether it just be me sitting at home playing some Aversol tapes, you know, and just and just playing around. That if I'm if I'm soloing. And I'm not thinking about like looking at, oh, I've got to play this, this, this double C here or this, you know, B or whatever. Um, and I'm just playing and that's what I hear. And that's what I want to do. And then it comes out and it's like, holy crap, mm -hmm. where did that come from? But if I yeah. were to sit there and try to read a transcription of what I just played <laughs> I get my own way and I couldn't do it. So yeah, the, the, the way that your head gets into gets into the way of what comes out of here and then it's too often for us then to instead of thinking oh what's going on here we're thinking about oh what's wrong with my horn you know if i if i had a, a different <laughs> bell flare if i had you know then i could do these things. <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's so true yeah yeah absolutely man. and i think that's a um the the everybody should learn how to improvise no matter what level you're on and for that exact reason you know uh it wasn't really until I got out of uh, grad school that I started trying to learn how to improvise, like really learning, really trying to learn the chord changes and stuff like that. And it, once I did that and, uh, and, and really started learning my arpeggios uh, all the way, you know, seven, nine, 11, 13, et cetera, and, and, and connecting all the, um, the dots there when it comes to what, how a scale is composed, uh, that's when uh, my classical playing just, just you know blew up in terms of my own ability just because i was actually singing the notes out you know when i when i was playing out and understanding where those notes fit in with the progression uh you know even if it's not uh you know standard or something like that it's just a trumpet concerto you're still thinking like that and um 
and thinking more musically connected. Um, yeah. So. Oh man, why do we do why do we do this to ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fun. Yeah, it, it's, it's, fun. It's, fun. it's fun to yeah. beat ourselves up, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> There's something wrong with us, that, and that's why we have Tommy. Uh, so, yeah. I, well, you know, um, God, we could talk about so much stuff for so long, talking about rabbit holes. But uh, I definitely yeah. want to get into uh, to our standard segments. And uh, okay. All right. Our, our first segment is uh, brought to us by a uh, good friend, Michael Barkley of Barkley Microphone. This is called Sound Off. And uh, it's about the approach to sound. And I definitely, you know, I think I want to steer steer towards the, uh, the, the equipment side since that's, you know, where your, uh, you know, your current uh, exploration and, ex- uh, you know, uh, your, your love right now is, is in the, uh, in the main, not the, in the manufacturing, but, but helping people to find the right gear for for their, their situation, which we'll talk about gear next. Uh, so don't go too deep in that. But uh, when we think about the production of sound uh, and the the relationship of gear to that sound, what are some of the the, the things that you, that you think about or that you advise people on uh, considering to create the best, most beautiful trumpet sound possible? Hmm. Yeah. It's. <sighs> like sound and uh performance ability i think it's a it's a balance uh between what you want because uh if if you want a really lush sound uh that has a lot of overtones or uh it's just that it's it's like some people call it dark right uh if you want that you're you also have to make a sacrifice along the way of uh of efficiency uh at least in my experience um that's why i prefer uh the material like yellow brass because yellow brass is kind of uh, home base uh, when it comes to uh, performance to sound balance. Uh, so, if, but if somebody has a, a really uh, vibrant sound and they don't need that, um, changing uh, changing the material to have something with more copper in it is just um, it will it will help balance that out for them and maybe they don't uh, feel the effects uh, that. Uh, uh, the difference in performance because of that uh, characteristic change. Yeah. Cool. Uh, that's, that's great <laughs> advice. As uh, uh, I could certainly use it. I know, knowing what, <laughs> Give with me after that. this, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. So our next segment, uh, next segment is called Geared Up. Uh, and it is all about gear. So we're definitely going to get into the equipment and uh, geared up is brought to us by venture mouthpieces, venture where technology design and craftsmanship intersect. Use the code Trumpet Gurus 21 to get uh, 10% off of your order. Um, and so as we talk about gear and we've talked a lot about gear, obviously today, uh, but, uh, what I, what I would like to talk to you, uh, about is, um, you know, someone's looking, looking, ge- looking to try out some gear, whether it be a uh, local music store or they're at, uh, you know, one of the trade shows or, you know, they're, they're coming to you for a consultation. Um, I think too many people, not enough people know how to test gear, yeah. or how to make those determinations within themselves of, uh, you know, even with what they're playing right now of, of what needs to change or what should I be considering changing? So uh, what are what are some of the, the, the tips and tricks that you would give to people uh, about uh, 
testing their own horn or new horns uh, to find the, the optimal setup for themselves. Yeah, I'd, I'd say um, just remember that the trumpet is seven bugles. So, you know, the more uh, the more you go through the partial system um, or not the partial system, but the uh, going changing from bugle to bugle, um, it's going to be it's going to be the same uh, from one partial to the next. So staying on like a, a middle C and just just playing one note is like I can know whether a horn's going to work for me in one note. You, and, and most people should. You just you just play a, a, a C as soft as you can, and then crescendo as loud as you can, and see uh, where does the horn break? Does it does it maintain uh, the pitch? Uh, is the sound uh, pleasant to to your ear? And did it feel good when when you did that? Did it feel like everything locked in, or did it feel squirrely? Because I mean, you don't need to go through all of the, the combination of, of notes to, to really uh, try the whole horn out, uh, to, know, to know at its root fundamental, is it, is it a solid uh, choice for you? Uh, One note. One note, yeah. Well, that, that man, that, that was simple advice. I, I was expecting this very uh, <laughs> complicated, uh, you know, get out your, uh, get out your tuner and your metallurgy kit and uh, all that sort of stuff. And <laughs> I think keep it simple. You know, you got a lot of horns to play. Uh, just start with one note and then you can, then you can start messing around because then you can see are the other, uh, are the other bugles in tune, right? Or, or is this one feel really off? Because that could just be a simple valve alignment issue. Right. Or or it could be a manufacturing issue. And that's when you open it up and you look in there and say, oh, yeah, no, it is or or it isn't. So, yeah, yeah. I like it. Keep it simple. All right. So final segment. Final segment is uh, brought to us by good friend Kenny Robinson at Robinson's Remedy yeah. Rapid Relief for your sore and tired chops. Robinson's Remedy Rapid Fire Round. And I know, Adam, you you uh, have plenty of experience with Kenny. And, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, Kenny, man. He's awesome. Oh, yeah. Kenny's a great guy. Um, so the uh, Rapid Fire Round is a series of questions that kind of bounce all over the place, different topics. And uh, let's just get your quickest response to these questions. Are you ready, I'll Mr. Ed? I will try. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here you go. First question for you, Adam. Who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player? Uh, my father. All right. What is your favorite book? Ooh, uh, Zen in the Martial Arts by Joe Himes. All right. What's the worst movie you've ever seen? <laughs> uh, can't remember. Probably it's a good thing, right? Uh, <laughs> worst guy. <laughs> everything it, it could be uh you know awesomely bad yeah so i don't know worst movie oh i gotta pass out I, I can't it comes to mind yeah all right all right uh, if you weren't a trumpet player what would you want to be well when i was growing up i wanted to be a waterman i'm not sure what that is but yeah i know right no, yeah. <laughs> no i i like computers a lot um so uh probably uh something in computer science or, uh, you know, um, uh, building computers. Really enjoy, yeah. Cool. Next, Steve Jobs. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite drink? Ooh, alcoholic or otherwise? Uh, it, it, what, what is your favorite drink? <laughs> um, I enjoy a cool Coors Light in ice 
<laughs> I'm weird like that. Yeah. I know. I see that face you're making. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like Pedro or something like that. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, you could have a dinner party or you're going to have a dinner party. That oh. You're going to invite any three people in the world, uh, family and friends excluded. Uh, any three people in the world, who would you want to have there? Oh, man. Yeah, I saw you ask this to Mike. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I really am not sure. Um, family and friends excluded. Uh, man, I don't really know because then I, then I wouldn't know them. You know? Well, I mean, you know, yeah, who would uh, you want to have spend an evening getting to know? Living or? Any three living people. Oh, living. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, sorry, man. I got passed. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll have a second. <laughs> but any, any three people that are no longer with us, three people from history? Oh, Hunter Thompson. For sure. Um, mm, probably, uh, uh, probably some artists. I don't know. Um, Dolly. <laughs> that would be interesting. Uh, and uh, Maynard Ferguson, of course. Yeah. The boss. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, lacquer, plated, or raw? Ooh, they all serve a good purpose. Um, I don't really like lacquered horns, especially if they're matte lacquered. Uh, but uh, uh, plating is nice for classical setting, and then raw is great for a, uh, for a combo setting. Sure. So one of each. Yeah, I, I, all of them. I, I, you should see the other room, how many trumpets I have. <laughs> uh, I can only imagine. Uh, what's your favorite quote? Oh man, yeah, I wasn't ready for that one either. Um, I guess it, it would be uh, Yoda: "Do or uh, do or do not. There is no try." Mm, okay, I know, yeah. classic, uh, <laughs> real original. And, hey, I, I, I do love, I do love that concept. You do or do not. It's yeah. true. Yeah, and to try it immediately means that that uh, you know you you're, don't believe you're downing you do. your your doing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What is your greatest fear? Ooh, um, hmm. There's fear. Uh, probably dying, because <laughs> because it, it's uh, you know, you never know what's gonna happen next. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Uh, you could be granted one superpower. What would it be? Ooh, to fly for sure. Yeah, that'd be fun and save on gas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. Uh, what aspect of trumpet playing do you find to be the most overrated? Equipment. <laughs> Bet you weren't expecting that, but yeah. And uh, what aspect do you think is the most underrated? Um, voice. Yeah. Singing. Okay. Um, it's underrated, but I think for, for a lot of uh, beginners, you know, it is. We're, we're hesitant to sing or bashful, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, that's very true. Uh, all right. You can go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Mm. Uh, have fun. <laughs> no, not that I wasn't having fun, but you know, when you're young, it's, uh, it, you, you can, uh, forget why you're doing the things that you're doing. Um, and it's just, um, uh, you know, it's about self-expression, but, uh, enjoying and, and communicating and, uh, and sharing that with the world. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, while you're back there, you're going to give your younger self one piece of advice about life. Hmm. Don't give up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> uh, and a uh, final question for you, Adam, what do you want your legacy to be? Oh man, ah, that's a tough question because I try to avoid thinking about that, you know, because then I, you you might you might uh, uh, lose focus on 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 finding what that is actually going to be, right? Um, um, I mean, we all have to have an ego to some degree, but I uh, prefer not to to get myself wrapped up too much into that one. No, hopefully it's a kid, you know, one day when I find the right one. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, Adam, I certainly appreciate you taking time to, uh, to hang with me today. This has been great. It's been really uh, informative uh, for me. Uh, you, know, you, you talked about some stuff that I, I really never thought about in terms of uh, construction, manufacturing of horns. Uh, and I certainly appreciate it. And uh, if people want to uh, check out what you've got to offer, links in the show notes, uh, can make sure you reach out to Adam and uh, he will do his best to point you in the right direction to find uh, the right uh, trumpet for uh, your niche of playing. So thank you, Jose. Yeah, man. Three plugs. Yeah, three, three, three. Three. Count them. Three. It's a tricep. <laughs> it's a hat trick. So, oh yeah. <laughs> I think I think that qualifies me for some some niche swag. Uh, oh man, yeah. I, I you got it. I got some pens and oh. stickers. <laughs> Not a whole lot yet. You know, I'm just getting my uh, my feet wet in this business. But um, yeah, you no. got it, man. No, yeah, nothing yeah, says swag like pens. <laughs> uh, I can blame my mother for that one. <laughs> still use those? <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, yeah, and, you know, she she's a uh, she's a respiratory therapist, so she used to always uh, use pens. And so she's like, you know, what people really like is pens. So I bought two hundred pens, and nobody wanted them. Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, so there you go. Yeah, well, I'll take a sticker. I've got room. You got it, man. You got, got it. I'll send you a pack. All right. That was good. All right. So uh, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of the Trump Gurus Hang. Make sure that you like and subscribe, share this with a friend, uh, especially if you have a friend who's looking for some new equipment. Adam had dropped some really uh, serious truth bombs for you, uh, can really help you on your path to finding the right gear for your playing situations. And, uh, you know, make sure you, you check Adam out, like him, follow him on social media. He also, I have to, have to say this is kind of like a last minute plug for Adam. Adam is a tremendous photographer as well. So uh, some of the work that he's done, just really, really beautiful stuff. So uh, make sure you, you check him out and follow him because uh, you'll be impressed. He's, he's a cool dude. Uh, and uh, 
If you have a suggestion for a future episode, future guest, future topic, just uh, please drop me a note at trumpetgurus uh, at uh, gmail.com. And uh, yeah, we love you. And uh, if you're nice, we'll send you a pen. So uh, thank you very much, Adam. And uh, as always, folks, peace and slide grease. We out. Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smoothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signor. And our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of The Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Guru's Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group.